0: Hello, this is Chris Robinson, writer and producer of this audio drama. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I had the good fortune of finding the book, Forbidden Diary, at the MacArthur Memorial's gift shop in Norfolk, Virginia. The book had been out of print for 40 years, and the diary itself written another 40 years earlier. But it struck me as being like one of those old photo portraits that you see in a book or museum, where the resolution is so clear and the face is so modern-looking that the people in The Old prints could walk out of the picture and start a conversation with you. And that's what Natalie Crowder's heroic journal does. And I'm not using the word heroic lightly because prisoners caught with diaries risk death. Through her day-to-day entries, we see life in a prison camp as it was, not what we assume it to be. Natalie's story is different from the horror we know about how U.S. and Filipino soldiers were treated. That's not to say that the Japanese upheld the Geneva Convention for the over 5,000 American civilians they imprisoned in the Philippines. Some were tortured, and nearly all of them starved. Natalie's son was imprisoned from age 10 to 14. He wrote to me that during those years he neither grew nor gained weight. Within weeks of the bombing of the Philippines, Families in the mountain town of Baguio were forcibly moved into a prison camp. One historian wrote that it was as if an entire American Midwestern town were plunked into a Japanese prison camp. And Natalie's diary captures it all. The prisoners set up their own government, schools, entertainment, infirmaries, and cafeterias. Food and clothing was brought in from the outside, often delivered by the prisoners' former Filipino employees. It was Nita, the Crowder's brave and loyal housekeeper, who literally kept the Crowders alive. In Manila, Filipinos were beaten or even shot for throwing food to Americans. The close bond between Natalie and Nita lasted their entire lives. As in any small town, there were the wealthy who could buy food and the poor who couldn't. So age-old questions about the equal distribution of labor and resources were always under Natalie's microscope. Sex turned out to be the great equalizer. No one had it. Men and women were kept apart. Although, (laughs) there is a photo in the MacArthur Memorial Archives of 27 children and their mothers entitled Camp Holmes Concentration Camp 1944. And if you add up the months, the babies in the photo had to have been conceived after their mothers were imprisoned. Natalie didn't just write about prisoners. The Japanese guards and camp commandants cross our path as well, each with their own history and reactions to the war. And what we witness is pure human nature under the stress of war and how certain truths rise above everything. By being in inhumane circumstances, Natalie shows us what it is to be human. Natalie wrote her diary on small bits of paper that she wrapped in scraps of raincoat material and hid under food supplies. After the war, the U.S. Army confiscated them to use as intelligence and evidence in war crime trials. After searching for them literally halfway around the world, the Crowters finally found the precious diary at an Army warehouse in Kansas City, still wrapped up as Natalie left it. It took Natalie two years to transcribe her microscopic entries, written on envelope flaps, in the margins of book pages and on fragments of discarded ledgers into a 5,000-page manuscript. By the late 1970s, the diary was placed in the capable hands of Lynn Z. Bloom, who organized, footnoted, and distilled the diary down to 528 pages. The original diary scraps are archived at the Schlesinger Library at Radcliffe. And today, Forbidden Diary is considered to be an iconic work among scholars and diarists, but it's also one heck of a story. So please, enjoy the podcast and share it with your fellow travelers. And again, thank you for listening.